Oh, good morning, New Life Manitou. It's so good to see you. My name is Colin Stoddard. I'm the executive pastor of New Life East, and um, I never know how long that bumper is, so it's always like, oh, is it me now? Is it me now? And um, I am that person that Brett Davis confessed earlier that he doesn't like Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> and I'm still grappling with this news from him um, and I, however, I do agree with him on the stuffing portion when I was carving our turkey on Thursday and there's this netting that's inside the turkey that the knife catches and I start extracting this bag of bread. This is disgusting. And why is it that we only eat this one time a year? Because it's not all that hard to just stuff a bag full of bread and put it in the rear end of a turkey. I think... <laughs> I think the founders of Thanksgiving knew that let's take this awful tradition and we'll consolidate it on only one day of the year and all of us are fooled. But anyway, did y'all have a great Thanksgiving? Was it just a wonderful, um, I, had, I had a wonderful one as well. Um, I'm so thankful to, uh, to the Kirkendalls for being in, I thought they were in Spain or Italy or something exotic like that, but good for them. We're here. Ireland and, oh, so fancy. Well, here we are in Colorado Springs, but truthfully, it's such a wonderful place. And so I live on the very east side, being at New Life East, we're all cowboys out there. I live 30 miles east of New Life East, so I come west to come to New Life East, now that you're all very confused. But I just love Manitou so much um, because it reminds me of, it just reminds me of Christmas when I was a child, I'm a fourth generation Colorado native, and so anytime growing up, we would be ready. Getting in the Christmas spirit uh, brought us to Manitou because you guys know how to do Christmas. We have, like, there's nothing in New Life East except wind. So if you want something that reminds you of Christmas, you just don't have it. So we had to come here to get in the Christmas spirit. But today marks the first day of Advent with the um, church calendar. The church calendar is progressing along with us in normal time. And it, and it gives us a way to plug into spiritual rhythms. It gives us a way to keep track with the kingdom of God in such a unique way. And so today marks the four Sundays that lead us up to Christmas Eve. And Advent just simply means coming. When we think about the coming of Jesus and the incarnation that we celebrate uh, at Christmas, which is so wonderful. And so today, the first Sunday of Advent with the church calendar um, is the theme is hope. And so today we're gonna talk about hope. Hope, when you're a child, it's pretty simple, pretty easy too. You know, I have four children. The oldest is 12. Her name's Gabby, and she uh, can run our household. She's a little smarter than I am. And um, she's at New Life East right now setting up the usher table and helping the communion servers get everybody, get where they need to go. And she really is quite wonderful. And and then I have three boys underneath that. And um, last night we decorated the Christmas tree and um, I'm an Enneagram one, so decorating the trees, are like I get a lot of angst about it because it has to be balanced properly and have to have each ornament goes in the right place and each ornament is very nostalgic. And, and my children kept dropping ornaments as they were putting them, and like the special ones they're dropping on. So I'm trying to hold back my heart attack, but it filled, it filled them with so much hope. Um, I know they're hopeful about Christmas morning. They're so hopeful about what's gonna be under the tree. Like, it's just, like, hope, is, it's just easy for them. And when we become adults, hope 
oh, it's an entirely different thing. And this season for you might be less, less hopeful and more hopeless because it's just complicated. Maybe we're hoping that this year will just be different than last year. Maybe we're hopeful that the Christmas season will just pass us by and we won't be triggered about the things that were hard for us last year. Christmas is, can for some in this season can be a source of hopelessness. But for Christians, this is my, my reminder for us this morning, that our hope is not in these things. Our hope is not in the feeling that comes and goes. Our feeling is not even in the relationships that can make Christmas so complicated. Hope for a, for a Christian transcends what we see, what we touch, and what we feel on this earth because we don't put our hope in a physical world. Hear what Paul says in Romans 8, 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let me pray for us this morning. God, would you open our our hearts, and our minds to you today, Lord. Would you, would you fill us with hope, Lord? Would you touch the empty spaces that are in us? God, would you speak through me, Lord? Though my, my words are human, Lord, your spirit transcends all of this, Lord. Would you speak in your name, we pray. Amen. I'm so glad that Paul starts out this passage on hope talking about suffering. The first sentence is, is, I consider that our present sufferings, he starts considering our suffering and acknowledging of it. Some of us thought, maybe this was you unconsciously, that when you said yes to God, it would somehow gain you immunity from suffering. And what we don't realize is that we actually in our own minds make a deal with God. When we say, God, I'm giving you my life, and then in our minds, we think, because I've given you my life, you won't let there be suffering. You won't let me down. You won't take my spouse from me, a child from me. You won't let anything bad happen to me. And then when the suffering does come, we think that God must be mad at us or um, maybe isn't real at all or doesn't have use for us. But what Paul says is that Suffering is not contingent upon what we did or didn't do, but Paul says that, that everyone just suffering. Suffering just is. Even those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, all creation groans. Paul does not say Christians should ignore the suffering all around you and live in an alternate reality because this is how you should cope. That's not what Paul says. Suffering just is, and all are touched by it. I have a friend at New Life East. His name is Glenn Smith. 
and he um, has had neuropathy in his legs uh, for the past eight to 10 years. And what happens when you can't, um, it's like leprosy, when you can't have you know, nerves in part of your body when you get a scratch on it or something like this. It's pain is a blessing. And what pain allows you to do is when you have a, a hand by a hot flame and you feel that it's hot, you pull it away. And if you didn't pull your hand away, you would in fact get burned. And so this is what's happened to Glenn in, in his feet. He gets a scratch or a, a cut on his toe and because he can't feel it, it becomes infected. And his toes, he's been struggling with this infection which has resulted in amputation. So he's slowly lost more and more of his foot until I was at the hospital with him last week and they finally took his whole foot. When I hear this, this verse on decay, I just think of that. Glenn is the most faithful servant you've ever met and filled with such joy. And yet even he, is a, in a, such a physical sense of the word, understands what decay is. Everybody is touched by it. Hope is partially defined by what it is not, hopelessness. As in this, we can't talk about hope without talking about why you need hope. We need hope when we're suffering. They're related to each other. So an encouragement for those of you who are hopeful. Maybe you're a, just naturally a glass is half full, hopeful person, and you just acknowledge bad things happen to good people, I'm married to one of these kind of people. Her name's Jenna. And um, we were at uh, Natural Grocers, just getting uh, groceries as we do a couple weeks ago. And I come out of the store and I notice that our tire is flat. And I look at it and I said, how in the hell, heck did we get a, uh, I didn't, I did not almost say that. I am a cowboy at New Life East. Hell is a real place, just so you know. That's how I really felt about it. Is, it, is this live stream? Just kidding. And I come out and, the, and I have a flat tire. And so I'm like, I, I set to changing the flat tire and here's my wife. Oh, isn't the weather so nice? Good thing we got a flat tire here so that I could finish up some grocery shopping that I forgot. So she goes back inside. She's like, this is just so convenient. Good thing we carpooled so that you could change the flat tire. I wouldn't have known what, she's just so joyful about this thing that derailed my afternoon. And so if this, if this is you as my wife, you are a gift to everyone around you. You truly are. So, my, so keep doing that. Keep hoping and encouraging. We need people in our lives who aren't me, who aren't full of doom and gloom. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 22, you know this. I learned it when I was a child. A cheerful heart is great medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When there's a lack of hope in your life, the bones, oh, there's just death and decay. And then uh, there are the people who have hope in, in some, so there's just like perkiness, general perkiness, right? And then there's people um, who, who have hope in their spirit, um, but, uh, but their hope is in like, you, you guys know these people where, um, where they're like in a really bad relationship, and everyone around them can see that the relationship has just run its course. That uh, the boyfriend, the whatever, is not in anymore, doesn't love them, but they're just holding on to this hope, like, but it's gonna get better, I know. And everyone's like, look, it's not gonna get better, but they're, hold, they're just hanging on. My challenge to that person is this. Here's my first point. Are you hoping 
in the right thing. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, but I trust in the Lord our God. I don't trust in our bank account. I don't trust in a relationship. I don't trust in the job position that I have. See, we have coping mechanisms that we don't even realize give us hope until they're taken away. A relationship, even food, alcohol. God made these things. They're good. They're not gonna save you. Only Jesus can save you. Anything that takes the place of Jesus is an idol. And we serve a jealous God who's gonna take that thing away in order to get our attention back. So not only are you hoping in the right thing, but are you hoping for the right thing? This is my other point. Let's think about it this way. You might be hoping for the wrong thing if it's just simply not the will of God. Jesus prayed, he modeled this for us. Father, if it be your will, would you let this cup pass from me? He told us how to pray in John 14. He says, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. In his name means in his, within his character, aligning ourselves with his will. You might be hoping for the wrong thing if it actually is something that needs to die. People are very resilient people, uh, resilient creatures. We have a will to live. We believe in things. Sometimes the greatest thing that's working against us and against our relationship with our God sometimes is our resilience. Sometimes the best thing a Christian can do is to give up hope. Once we're at the end of ourselves, at the end of what we're putting our hope in, our trust in, that's the place where we actually truly need God. And the reality of life is that there's a circle of it, you know, that things die. We know this um, in, in, in the life cycles that we have. I see my, my, my parents are aging. Every time I see them, they're much, much older. And they're a little smaller. That's what always surprises me. And Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 3, Solomon acknowledges this. We'll put it on the screen for you. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. Solomon goes on. It takes discernment, it takes prayer to know which season you are in. Jesus says this in John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that I will, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is what Jesus is saying is that as we are, as Christians, are, we're looking at our lives, we're looking at everything around us and there's this discernment and there's this call on our lives to see which things in us are bearing fruit and what Jesus does is sometimes he creates the ending of that thing and he cuts it off so that it can bear fruit. Here's a quick biology lesson for you is that there's a distinction between a flower and a fruit. And sometimes, see, when a flower is, is grown on a plant, that thing is supposed to turn into a fruit. 
And so when we look at a flower, we say that thing might someday soon have fruit. But what a gardener does is a trained gardener has to have this eye to know that even though this whole rose bush or apple tree is very pretty, everyone loves the, the sight of an apple tree with all of its blossoms on it. But an apple tree that is so large that only has lots of blossoms, it's not gonna bear very much fruit. And so a gardener has the hard job of cutting off even the rose flowers that look so beautiful but is not growing in the direction or the size that the gardener wants it to take. You may be hoping in something that looks great, it feels great, and has the appearance of one day bearing fruit, but doesn't actually bear fruit. And that thing needs to end. You may be in a season of pruning that John talks about. I have a friend, Chet Kiefer, goes to New Life East, and they're in a very hard time right now. And I was processing it with them the other day, and I said, how are you guys doing? And he says, I love this. We don't see the fruit of our obedience yet. You might be in a season where you know what that feels like. Henry Cloud makes another distinction too. He talks about hope in his book, Necessary Endings. It's a wonderful book. And he says that, you know, with hope, we can, we can track, it's like a trajectory. If we, if we evaluate our experiences and look behind us, we can see, um, if it's not a closed system, we can see that there have been incremental changes leading us on a path. So if we're, if, we're, if we're expecting, hoping that something changed, maybe your job, you're looking at it to change, you can look behind you, and if you can see that, that, that there has been incremental things, maybe your boss has listened to you, or maybe they've hired somebody else that's actually gonna change your job, whatever it might be, your marriage, whatever it might be, then you can look forward and say, well, I can see that things have changed in the past, so I can have hope that things in the future can change. But if you look all around you and nothing's ever changed, Maybe you're, that's what Henry Cloud would describe as a closed system, you know, that you're looking in your, in your marriage that your husband or your wife has never actually gotten counseling like they said they would. Maybe you've never gotten counseling like you know that you should. You don't, in fact, have hope that it will change. What you have, in fact, is a wish. And Henry Cloud would say that a wish is something that you can't put any hope in and is something that should die and this is why we as Christians have hope because we can trace the hand of God throughout all of time. This is why we read our Bibles because we can look to the Old Testament and see God, how God has been faithful to the Israelites every single step of the way. And when we look forward to Christmas, the incarnation of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we have hope because we know that we read this in the creed together that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. We have hope as Christians because we can trace and we, can, we know what will happen in the future. Maybe you are not this person that has false hope. Maybe you're not the person that just is just a hopeful person in general. Maybe you used to be a hopeful person. Life was going great. And then that thing happened, and for you, you if, you, if you've grown into adulthood, there has likely been something very hard that's happened to you that made your world come crashing apart. Perhaps it was a decision that you made. Perhaps it was a decision that was made for you. You were even hoping in the right thing. 
You were hoping in God. You didn't have false hope, and yet still the bottom fell out. And maybe now, or you can remember to when it was, you find yourself standing in the midst of the rubble. Your emotions are raw, and you're contemplating just walking, walking away because Jesus has let you down. Welcome to a very special place that the saints have called the dark night of the soul. Did you know there was a name for it? Pete Scazzaro says this about this place where all hope is gone. The dark night of the soul is a place where our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descend upon us. The Christian disciplines that have served us up to this time no longer work. We can't see what God is doing and we see very little visible fruit in our lives. When this happens to you, you think that God is done with you, but I'm here to encourage you today to say that that it's at this point of utter defeat that God can begin his work, if you let him. You can walk away. God gives us the choice. But there is something in store for you if you stay in the game. St. John of the Cross says this, God is purging the soul, annihilating it, emptying it or consuming it, even as fire consumes the the moldiness and the rust of the metal. All the affections and imperfect habits which it has contracted its whole life, these are deeply rooted in the substance of the soul. And at the same time, it is God who is passively working here in the soul. See, God powerfully invades us when we persevere patiently through great suffering. Day after day showing up, day after day pouring out our complaint. Our great temptation is to quit and to turn and to go back, but if we remain still listening for his voice, God will insert something of himself into our character that will mark the rest of our journey with him. If you're in a dark night of the soul. I'm here to tell you today that God has not abandoned you. He's in this. Don't self-medicate. Don't distract yourself. Just simply wait on the Lord. Psalm 130, five and six, you know the psalm, it says this, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. When you are in a season of great distress and brokenness, when you turn to the Psalms, that's when all of David's cries, when he's crying out to the Lord, that's when it just makes sense. And that's when a verse like this resonates with us, when we cannot wait for the dawn to just come bursting over the hill. Read this um, in closing. I want to read this short story to you. It's from an author named Brian Doyle. He's a theologian, but also writes just reflections on um, on life. And this tells a little bit about his story with um, two of his twin boys. 
Some months ago, my wife delivered twin sons one minute apart. The older is Joseph and the younger is Liam. Joseph is dark, Liam is light. Joseph is healthy, Liam is not. Joseph has a whole heart and Liam has half. This means that Liam will have two major surgeries before he is three years old. The first surgery during which a doctor will slice open my son's chest with a razor, saw the breastbone in half and reconstruct the flawed plumbing of his heart is, is eminent. I've read many pamphlets about Liam's problem. I've watched many doctors' hands drawing red and blue lines on pieces of white paper. They're trying to show me why Liam's heart doesn't work properly. Blue lines are for blood that needs oxygen. Red lines are for blood that needs to be pumped out of the heart. I watch the markers in the doctor's hands. Here comes red, there goes blue. The heart is a railroad station where the trains are switched to different tracks. A normal heart switches trains flawlessly two billion times in a life. In an abnormal heart like Liam's, the trains crash and the station crumbles to dust. There are many nights just now when I tuck Liam and his wheezing train station under my beard in the blue hours of night. I think about his maker. I would kill the God who sentenced him to such awful pain. I would stab him in the heart like he stabbed my son. I would shove my, my fury in his face like a fist. But I know in my broken heart that this same God made my magic boys, shaped their apple faces and coyote eyes, put joy in the eager suck of their mouths. So it is that my hands are not clenched in anger, but clasped in confused and merry and bitter prayer. I talk to God more than I admit. Why did you break my boy, I ask. I gave you that boy, he says, and his lean brown brother and the elfin daughter you love so. But you wrote death on his heart, I say. I write death on all hearts, he says, just as I write life. This is where our conversation ends. And I'm left holding the extraordinary, awful, perfect prayer of my second son, who snores like a seal, who might die tomorrow, who did not die today. You who are without hope, you're a Bethlehem. Jesus may not be delivering you from your present suffering. We have hope because he's coming to you in the middle of it. That is what we celebrate this first Sunday of Advent, is that we know that Jesus is coming. We know that the hope that you have in your heart, God will come again. Be encouraged, my friends. Let me pray for us. Jesus. Would you reveal in us where we just need to hang on a little longer because hope is coming? Would you encourage us, Lord, where we are straining our eyes to see the dawn break over the horizon, Jesus? Would you strengthen our hands for those moments? Would you, would you sharpen our eyes to see the goodness that you have? 
God, if there are things in our lives that do not please you, is not within your will, even now, Lord, would you bring them to, to, my, to the attention of my friends in this room this morning? If it's a habit that just needs to, to die, to stop, if it's a relationship that needs to, to end, Lord, would you give us the courage, Lord, any, any branch in us that's not bearing fruit, Jesus, would you, be, would you be merciful with us and cut it off? God, I want my life to bear fruit. I want people to look at me and to see you, Jesus. I want that for my friends. I want that for New Life Church. And God, for those who are completely without hope, who are in the middle of their dark night of the soul, Jesus, would you come swiftly? Would you let them see you in the middle of their pain, Lord, just as Mother Teresa said, as she longs for the dark night of the soul, God, would you become real to my friends who are in this season in ways they never experienced it before. May they be marked by it, where they can come out of this seeing you as a kind, loving, and gracious God. For those who are not there yet, Lord, would you just encourage them to keep showing up, to keep doing battle with you. You can handle that, Jesus. We give you thanks for this day. In your name we pray, amen. Pastor Brett's gonna lead us to the table. So friends, I invite you to go ahead and stand. If you're new, there are elements in baskets near each of your rows of chairs. I invite you to go ahead and get your elements prepared. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you've joined us. You can prepare your elements as well if you've got them. What we're holding in our hands, what we're about to ingest in our bodies is a, like a living picture of everything Colin has been talking about this morning. There's this moment in John's gospel in John 13, it's the end of the chapter where Judas goes out He's at this dinner with Jesus and he goes out and the text, John, he's a son of a gun in his storytelling. He says, it was night. It was night. Judas went out. It was night. This is the story of a God who is not far from us, though I drip on these artificial candles, so it's okay. Uh, this is a God who is with us who joins us, exactly as Colin said, in our suffering, in our struggle, in our confusion, in our, love that Brian Doyle line, I'm gonna botch it, but in our perfect prayers, our perfect bitter prayers, that is what we're invited into. This cup of bitterness, this bread of bitterness, it is the night when our Lord Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, and he said, I will take every bit of hopelessness. I will share it. All of your hopelessness, all of your darkness, all of your night. I'm with you in it. And I promise you, there's life in me that cannot be killed. And my friends, he's sharing it with us this morning. That is the gospel. And so we remember that on the night our Lord Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he shared it with us, with those who would follow him, those who would learn from him. 
And he said, take, eat. This is my body and it's for you. As often as you do this, remember me. And so Jesus, we remember you. We remember who you are, that you are the one who has created us and you have never left us alone, not even for a second. You are with us in the night of Advent. We ask that you would get your enemy-feeding love, your broken life poured out for others. Get that kind of life into us. Thank you that you are. Thank you that your spirit is with us. Feed us this morning. Give us what we need. You may receive the bread. Likewise, when supper was over, he took the cup because he knows we need it. He knows that it's not all done to us. It's us doing it too. And he said, take, drink. This is my blood and it's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I'm washing you clean. I'm making you new. Tomorrow is not gonna be like yesterday. I'm drawing you into my good future. And so Jesus... We say, wash us, cleanse us, make us new. We need your blood, your life coursing through our veins. We can't do this. There is nothing we can do to get this life into us. We are just dead. We thank you that you pour your life into us. You wash us clean and you make us new. We receive what you give us this morning. You may receive the cup, friends. So, Lord Jesus, Son of God, brother with us, the great light bringer, piercing the darkness and giving us hope, we ask that you would fill us with just a little sneak preview of that hope this morning, today, this week. We ask that we would maybe catch the trailer for what you're going to be doing, that we would be able to see and feel and experience the love that you are bringing this world towards. We would see it and that, Lord, by the power of your spirit, we could participate in it. We could embody it to a city around us who's desperately in need of it. Do it, we ask, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen and amen. Let's sing, friends.